We're driven by the search for better. But when it comes to hiring, the best way to search for a candidate isn't to search at all. Don't search, match with Indeed. Indeed is your matching and hiring platform with over 350 million global monthly visitors, according to Indeed data, and a matching engine that helps you find quality candidates fast. Leveraging over 140 million qualifications and preferences every day, Indeed's matching engine is constantly learning from your preferences. Join more than 3.5 million businesses worldwide that use Indeed to hire great talent fast. And listeners of this show will get a $75 sponsored job credit to get your jobs more visibility at Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Just go to Indeed.com slash BlueWire right now and support our show by saying you heard about Indeed on this podcast. Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Need to hire? You need Indeed. This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. Welcome to the Arsenal Vision post-match podcast. This is Mean Lean from ArsenalVision.co.uk. Arsenal produced some of the best football that we've seen this season at the KC Stadium against a team fighting relegation, fair enough, but against a team who had just prior beaten Liverpool at their ground, so it would have been full of confidence. And um, in the last two games, we drew to Chelsea and we beat Reading at Wembley, um, but it wasn't the most convincing of victories. We all wanted to know how the team would respond and, and and what kind of performance the team would put out. And I thought we were magnificent. One of our best performances of the season, um, regardless of the opposition. The speed of our football, the, the movement of our players and the interchanging was a joy to behold, as they say. Um, Mesut Ozil was amazing. Santi Cazorla, deeper. Ramsey on the right. Um, Alexis Sanchez, obviously, with the two goals. Sensational performance. Um I only managed to watch the first half at the time, but I watched the second half in the morning due to work. Um, I found in the second half, although we didn't score the goals, our football was, was even better than the first half. Maybe that's just a personal opinion. I haven't watched it only once. Um, that was the conclusion I drew. I thought we played some, some really good football in the second half. We are just really unlucky with a few decisions. We were unlucky with, with a few missed chances. Um, in current form, it has to be said that, that we are, in fact, the best team in the Premier League. Yes, we're not the best team over over the course of the whole season. That's quite clear. But um, in the last few months, I think we've been the best team. Most consistent, most entertaining, most not boring team. <clears throat> I'm going to hand you over to the guys who really matter. who are going to be talking about this wonderful game against Hull. Um, we don't have Paul today, but we have a new guest. And we've got um, Little Will at AFC alongside Elliot and James. So you enjoy the podcast and... I'll be back after Swansea. 
Take care. Goodbye. Warning, podcast may contain sexually explicit content as Arsenal cause gooners all over the world to cream their pants and panties with performance at Hull. My name is Elliot Smith, and you are listening to the Arsenal Vision Post-Match Podcast. Today I am joined, as ever, by James. You can find him at GoonerFanatic49 on Twitter. James, hello. Hello. Good evening to you, Elliot. And uh, for the first time ever, I am joined by uh, Will. You can find him on Twitter at LittleWillAFC. Will, it is a pleasure to have you on the podcast. Hello. Good to be here. You picked quite a time for it, as uh, this was a sensational performance. We are sorry that Paul will not be here today, but thankfully we have someone far superior in both knowledge uh, and eloquence and articulation. So should be a fantastic pod. Um, it was exactly the kind of performance that our, our momentum, our form has been building up to. And although the scoreline at 3-1 maybe wasn't emphatic as the performance. It was brilliant. And the first thing I want to get to, and Will, we'll let you start with this. Um, it's a Monday game against a relegation-threatened side. The title challenge had faded away. FA Cup still a few weeks away. Were you a little surprised the manager didn't try to freshen it up with some rotation, maybe to combat a possible psychological letdown or, or any tired legs, or did you fully expect him to just stay unchanged and keep the momentum going? Well, I think that... I expected a couple of changes, definitely. Um, but, however, you've got to look at the options on the bench and look at whether they would have made uh, a real, you know, a real fight of it up at Hull. You've got uh, Flamini on the bench, who I don't think's really in contention for a place at the moment. Wilshire's just come back from quite a big setback. Um, obviously, Gabriel has been getting games here and there, but Mertesacker seems to be regaining a bit of form as well so I think he made the right call in regards to team selection but this team has got so much chemistry now I think that comes from the understanding between Ozil Sanchez and Cazorla um Tim Tim Stillman friend of mine uh, made the point that Alexis has kind of tried to stop forcing himself upon the game because Santi's run of form and Ozil's vein of form as well kind of taken over and because they're such fantastic footballers it's against a team like Hull it's not difficult to kind of pull the strings in front of the box I guess so I, I think he got it right with the team selection um, and obviously you can't really displace Coquelin at the moment because he's becoming a bit of a fan favourite so yeah I did expect maybe Welbeck to start um, maybe Gibbs in at left back but apart from that I thought he got it I thought he got it bang on once again any thought from you James that the continued absence from Theo in the starting lineup is pointing towards a summer exit I mean I thought this was a, a classic example of a game where the manager might have been able to risk quote unquote giving him a start and maybe resting one of the central midfielders Cazorla and Ramsey instead of opting for both of them um you read anything into it or just the manager's decision to carry on with momentum no I mean I, I think I thought that Theo would leave the club for quite a while now but um I don't think that really played into the manager's decision for this starting lineup because I think Although many fans at this moment in time are perhaps wary of the fact that the only thing that's really important going in towards the end of the season is the FA Cup final, thus many are coming to the conclusion that perhaps it serves the club best to rotate players here and there in order to make sure that our best players are fit and healthy for the um, for the FA Cup final. I think the most important aspect of us in order to to have the best chance of winning that final is to have the superior momentum going into that game 
And thus, I think we need to give ourselves the best opportunity to win the upcoming league games. And in doing so, I think we have to stick with the the first 11 that has provided the incredible run over the last 10 games or so. Um, so I wasn't surprised at all to see Wenger keep the same lineup. And even the FA Cup final aside, where I, whereby I don't think the argument for resting players, especially given that we're basically playing one game a week at this stage, um, is viable. I think it's important for us as a as a club, just from a confidence standpoint, you know, even financially, I'm sure internally, as you you, you want to do as best you can. There there is a big difference for from the club standpoint between second and third, especially fourth. I mean, obviously avoiding the qualifier, but to get that little impetus of the first time in a decade to finish second, um, it's a big leap. I mean, it's it, it's often a a stick with which Arsenal and the club is beaten with that the club for so so consistently has only finished third and fourth. And I know now it's easy for fans to assess the fact that coming second makes little difference to that of third or fourth. But but really, it's a nonsensical issue. It's um, it's a sign that we're, you know, we could possibly be the second best team in the league, even given Man City's riches. And I think that could give us a lot of confidence going into next season, but more importantly, going into the FA Cup final. So, um, that was definitely the, the driving force behind Wenger's decision to keep the first 11 as it was. Fair enough. I think you've hit on all the key elements there, as you often do. Um, and I don't disagree with any of it, James. We'll get to the part where you and I disagree in a moment, though. Um, well, I think one of the things that has sparked some debate over this uh, recent run of good form is the question of whether we'd be better off with a more natural wide player on the right versus Ramsey. And right now it's hard because both Cazorla and Ramsey are playing so well that you want to get them both into the side, but it certainly changes the way we play. Yesterday, obviously, there were times when maybe we could have used wide spaces better, and I thought Carragher and Neville uh, pointed that out in the Sky coverage that I was able to watch on a stream online. Um, but there were also plenty of opportunities for Ramsey to come inside and cause problems, especially for the goal. Where do you stand on the idea of this lineup in this formation without a real natural wide player on the right, would you rather see him pick one of Ramsey or Cazorla or is your attitude as long as it's working, don't fix it if it ain't broke? Um, yeah, more or less the latter because Ram, you know, I think I can speak for a lot of Arsenal fans in saying that obviously Ramsey's best position is in the center at, in, in a three uh, in front of the holding player where he can kind of balance attack and defense which I think he's fantastic at. His, Which he uh, says too, by the way. He he, he says that's where he'd prefer yeah, to be playing. It, yeah. Exactly. And his, his defensive attributes are actually criminally underrated. Uh, first, first part of last season, his defensive work... Um, kind of minding Flamini, which I feel needs to be done on a regular basis, um, <laughs> um, was fantastic. He is a complete centre midfielder when he's on his game. And But can you play Cazorla outright? Do you get as much cover when tracking back? You know, I think if you're going to play one outright, it, it would be Ramsey because Ramsey is a player who has got a bit more of an engine. He's got more physical presence. And when you have a fullback and a winger uh, to, to come back as a fullback and a winger on the opposition side, it, I would, you know, height is always fairly important in terms of winning headers and making kind of important cynical fouls, which I don't think Cazorla really has in his locker. That sounds a little bit of a kind of a little Englander mentality, but when, you know, when it's backs against the wall, I think Ramsey does perform the wide right role well. I mean, it's not as if he loses the ball out wide. If he gets it, he won't take his man on on the outside because he doesn't have 
the pace, but he'll play it back inside, you know, fairly, fairly simply. And um, I, I don't think we should, I don't think we should move him, but a wide player in the summer would be much welcomed. Definitely. Yeah, especially think, if there's any I worry. Fresh, I, think, I think it would freshen this side up somewhat, somewhat massively. Well, you could argue that we, we could use another scorer and a natural winger, and especially if there's some thought that Cazorla might leave, which would be a shame, then it certainly becomes more important as Ramsey would probably just come back into that role that Cazorla has taken on. I thought it was interesting, actually, while receiving the Man of the Match award, um, Cazorla <laughs> made the point, yes, I'm playing well because I'm playing in the middle where I prefer to play. It's sort yeah. of like saying, hey, Arson, look, this is where I'm I belong. Playing, Don't I'm change it. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> um, so, you know, uh, James, you and I have gone back and forth about this. I made, I, I tweeted something during the game that I caught some stick for, but I, I think it was interpreted in a way that I didn't mean it. I said that Ramsey for as excellent as he is, and it's important to remember that I began the tweet by saying he's excellent. I said he is inherently an inconsistent player, capable of moments of brilliance, and then making the simple things look hard. Um, I don't mean from game to game that he's inconsistent. I mean within games. You know, Ramsey is the kind of player who will have a three or four minute stretch where he does some spectacular things and then a three or four minute stretch where he misplaces simple passes. And I, I wonder also if some of that is just the way you see the pitch from the wing is different from the way you see the pitch in the middle of the park. And, you know, I think it changes the whole dynamic. Um, you were a huge believer in and defender of Aaron Ramsey. And by the way, I, I am a huge believer in him as well. But um, do you what is what is your take on Ramsey's contribution? I mean, is he is he someone who is is just one of the, the first name on the team sheet because of his energy, his effort, his ability to provide goals from wherever you play him? Do you think that eventually the squad needs to adapt to have a natural winger back or, or is this a dynamic that we can go forward with and win a title with next season? Um, I'll try and piece those questions one by one if Please. I can. Yeah. Um, well, first of all, as you said, I am a big believer in Ramsey, but I don't disagree, but that there are certain inconsistencies to his game. But I wonder if a lot of that is down to a, his relative, inexperience in the grand scheme of things but mostly down to the fact that he has suffered from a career that has been staggered by by frequent injuries whether it be the 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 leg break that kept him out for such a long period of time it took such a long recovery phase at a time that he needed major development as a player um and then perhaps to a to a certain degree but certainly to a lesser extent this season where he's had hamstring injuries that have um, that he's incurred at various st- at, at at various different points in the season, and that he's like he's had repeated injuries that have that that have, that have constantly set him back ever so slightly as a player. Someone that who who was looking to build off from from certainly his best season ever, and um, after a season whereby he was voted Arsenal's best player, which is which is no mean feat, especially at someone at that age, um, which I think um, is. Uh, exemplary of the kind of attributes and the and the qualities he possesses, which I think some fans are a little too quick to to forget. Because when he's on form, Aaron, I mean, and you talk about his inconsistencies, which he certainly does have, but I think it's he's a player that thrives off confidence. And during his little phases, when he 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 tends to he tend as you say he tends to he over 
complicates things. He doesn't go back to the basics. He does he, he like does a lot of these little flicks that don't play off when he can play simple passes. Um, he tries to almost like very manually recreate this kind of like confidence and self belief that he has. He um, and these little tricks and flicks that when he when he's on form tend to um, come off and tend to add like an, an an added benefit to the team as a whole. But I think that being said, he's a player that you even when he when he's as inconsistent as he is, he's a player that is able to provide things to the team that that very few other players in the in the league are able to do. He's a he's a high, he's an incredible goal scoring midfielder. I think we often we're a little too um, we we talk too much a little bit of the idea of having this this distinct wide player. You know, Alexis Sanchez is a player that likes to come inside. You have a lot a lot of the even Theo Walcott maybe someone that we might perceive as like a replacement right wing or even Danny Welbeck. Mm-hmm. Neither of these players are traditional right wingers. They're both players that like to come inside a lot. And we saw it from Ramsey's goal and um, when he, he, he was able to come from a wide right position, come inside and take um, take advantage of, of space that was created in between the two inside centre backs. So I don't think we need to get too worked up over the fact that we we desperately need to have two players that are able to like hug the touchline and play right. like a very old fashioned winger role. Um, and I mean, given the way in which I certainly perceive Ramsey and given the qualities he has, I just don't think you can not have play both Ramsey and Cazorla playing in the first 11, even if it means restricting Ramsey's overall qualities a little bit, because obviously he plays, his attributes are better suited to playing that slightly deeper center mid midfield role. But in, as a whole, it, it's better for the squad and better for the team as an 11 to have the two players playing in unison. And that, that conjunction of those two qualities is absolutely integral to the way that we've played. Yeah. And it's no coincidence the number of the run that we've gone on with both of those players playing in the side, even with Aaron Ramsey on the right, where he's not quite as good as he is in the center. I, I think um, he is definitely a player, I'll say it like this, that for all of his good qualities, what makes him indispensable is his end product. Um, you know, he... he runs and he works and he you know he is he has you know a lot of the qualities that i think will pointed out that maybe Kazorla doesn't provide but he he is indispensable because he can come up with that ball like the one he played to alexis or he can come up with you know a, a finish that wins a game and i think we don't have enough players in the side to be able to live without him and, and i thought he was brilliant by the way yesterday i think what was great to see is for him to get a a, a kick down the leg, his ankle buckle, you know, this is a player who physically took time to recover, obviously, from that Shawcross challenge, and yesterday he responded to a very tough challenge and and getting a knock by scoring a goal, providing a brilliant assist, assist and, and playing playing through basically the rest of the game, so... You know, I, I thought it was a great performance, and, and he's absolutely one of our best players. I just, I think it's interesting the dynamic that's developing with him out wide right. It's certainly not where he wants to be playing most, and some of the things he's he's contributing there versus what we could have if there was another player in that position. And I, I do personally think that's a position that the manager might address this summer, especially if Theo is sold. I think he may bring in another frontline player who can play wide right, and if Cazorla goes and Ramsey will just naturally take that role. Um the thing I loved about the whole game is it was the kind of performance from Mesut Ozil that is what we expect, probably expected every game, fairly or unfairly, when we signed him. Well, you know, there are a lot of people that 
I hate Cesc Fabregas, a lot of people that love Cesc Fabregas, but I think one of the things that's made it such a difficult issue to get past is feeling like we hadn't really replaced him. And when Ozil came in, I think the hope was that that was done. He may be, depending on your perspective, maybe struggled a little to assimilate, but now he is in the kind of form that can let you well and truly get past players who don't play for us anymore and embrace what he's become. To you, was was the Hall performance the best example of Mesut Ozil bringing his incredible talent and skill and effort and work rate to bear in the way we all kind of hoped he could influence this club when he first arrived? Yeah, I mean, I, I personally wasn't um, too disappointed at Ozil's first season, and I know that might sound a bit uh, less ambitious than people would like, but... The thing with Ozil is, what do you got to remember? The environment he's come from. He's come from an environment where he's playing in the centre behind a front, an absolutely rampant front three. You know, you switching all the time with Benzema and Ronaldo and such. And that was what he had before. And to have that dynamism and that movement in front of you is, I wouldn't say easy, but it 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 certainly brings out the best in Ozil when he has that. And I think that last, the back end of last, the first part of last season, should I say, he was very good. He hit the ground running because we had runners. Ramsey made a lot of very intelligent runs behind the defence, as did Giroud. He had a purple patch at the start of the 13-14 season. And it, that's what brings out the best in Ozil. And when you have runners in behind, it drags defenders out and it gives Ozil the space to really do some serious damage. And and he's doing that. That flick yesterday was one of the most majestic pieces of skill I've seen on a football pitch in a long time. And that's not hyperbole. That's coming at quite a bit good speed. And he's hovered in the air and he's flicked it off the bottom of his boot, his studs, with the perfect weight. Because... He's got the option to do that because there's a runner there. And having Sanchez there, who's willing to make runs in behind, get on the end of things, uh, as is Ramsey, as is Giroud in this in this fine vein of form he's got, that's what brings the best out in Ozil. And I know it might be making an excuse saying, well, you have to play this way to bring the best out in Ozil. But if you have to play a certain way to bring the best out of him, do it. Because he's one of the finest footballers we've ever had. And we are bringing the best out of him. And it's paying dividends. He's a great signing. He's a wonderful footballer. And it's a pleasure to watch him every week. It really is. Yeah. I, I mean, he was he was absolutely breathtaking. And I mean, some of those flicks and and uh, just control that he has and, and some of the moves he, he showed against yeah. Hall, I think, would have made Ronaldinho he's, drool. He's, he's different gravy. He's different gravy. There was a ball. I don't even remember when it was particularly in the game, but it was a long raking pass from left to right, and he had popped up on the right wing, and it came down probably from 30 feet in the air, and he just killed it right yeah. at his feet. I, I mean, you take that for granted because so many players now you know, do have that kind of skill, but everything he does just drips a little bit of extra class. And the thing that I loved is he was instrumental defensively for several of our, our key chances. He was pressing the ball. He's working hard. And I, I think, you know, maybe, you know, the way he bulked up physically and, and maybe took a, a hard look at his own performances during the time yeah. he was injured this season gave him an opportunity to add another dimension to his game. Well, you got to, you got to remember what, one point to make. When, when people go to football, they have these kind of pre preconceived expectations of what's going to happen in the game. So their expectation is when you sign a 42 million pound player, he's going to hit the ground running and he's going to perform at an optimum level every week. Basically it, like what Alexis Sanchez did do. <laughs> exactly. But when Alexis dropped off, 
people weren't so quick to react because he'd already put a really good shift in at this first half of the, in the first well, half. That's the, the whole thing about first impressions, I, right? I, I prefer to be a bit more rational and give a player the benefit of the doubt for six months or a year. And then when he's finally settled in and he's got a, a set of teammates around him that stay fit and they learn each other's movements and they learn each other's, you know, and they create a relationship relationship with each other I, I prefer to judge them then and you know Ozil's been playing in this team for quite a while now in terms of the same sort of setup Ramsey on the right and, and Alexis on the left since about uh, you know late January and um, uh, I think you've we've got to play to Ozil's strengths and when we do we uh, we become a better team Def- definitely yeah it, you know it was interesting too Arsene Wenger had an interesting comment after the game that I thought was true he said you know Today was a day when maybe we got a little fortunate on the goals we did score and a little unfortunate with many of the chances that we didn't. I thought some of our best chances were not converted into goals, and some of our goals, obviously, we caught a little bit of a break with deflections on two of them. But, James, there were two goals set up by two brilliant passes. Question for you, which pass did you like better, Cazorla to Ramsey or Ramsey to Alexis? Um, good question. I always like a player that rounds the goalkeeper. That yeah, I, I, I tweeted um, that. Wait, that's what frustrates me about Walcott. He never rounds the keeper. He always shoots early. I well, love a player so. who rounds the keeper. Yeah, I mean, although to be fair to um, to Walcott, that one goal that sticks in one's mind is the was it against Shakhtar Donetsk in the in the Champions League qualifier game or the Champions League game where he like uh, took it gr- super gr- gr- early. Stage. Yeah, he took it super early and just and, and like one on one, but kind of hit it just outside the area and curved around the keeper. That looked quite magnificent. But I mean, it looks good aside, when it comes off, but it's not as high percentage, surely. No, absolutely. I mean, the the, the rounding the keeper is definitely the move to make, and um, from a statistical point of view, um, and I think a lot of that comes down to the weight of the pass and the ability to play in a player in into that position, and the way in which Ramsey took that under his control. And play that ball with his weaker foot is something that you know one has to give a lot of credit to. And on top of that, you know that was a move that was constructed within the space of about five seconds from Özil uh, taking the ball off the whole player and quickly feeding Ramsey, and then Ramsey playing that immediate pass with Alexis um, finding the the space and rounding the keeper. It was an exceptional goal. And that being said, for Cazorla to spot that pass for the Ramsey goal from the halfway line in between those two whole players and to execute in the way that he did was absolutely magnificent. And is, you know, I think we both talked about this, frankly, on the podcast, so that as much as we love Cazorla in the middle and he's, he's done excellently there, we've, we've debated the fact that he's not quite as suited to that role. And since he's moved from the number 10, there's been a few games where he hasn't been quite as prolific and hasn't made quite the stamp, you know, hasn't made his mark on the game in quite the same fashion that he would otherwise as a number 10. You know, I think we perhaps didn't give enough credit to the fact that it's given him a little time to adjust to playing to a slightly deeper role. And also the ability that it gives him to get on the ball as regularly as it does. And even in those deeper positions, there's not many players in our squad. In fact, there's probably no player better at it than Cazorla who can spot a ball like that and execute it in the way that he did. And the way that he dissected those two hull players from that distance was absolutely phenomenal. And fair play that Ramsey touch to take it with his right, bring it back to the other side, completely wrong foot the whole player, keep his balance, and then 
somewhat slotted slot in the corner with the help of the deflection was an absolutely superb goal. So I'll have to give that between the two, the assist to Cazorla, but they were both absolutely excellent. Yeah, they, they were brilliant. And I, I do love a player that rounds the keeper. I thought Alexis was a little unfortunate not to score um, with the one where he tried to lift it over Harper. And Harper kind of got an arm, an arm out. Right, and that was another great ball from Cazola too. Yeah, it was, a, it was a great, a great sweeping move, and and there was a lot of that. There, there was a combination of good build up, good possession play and build up in possession, and uh, additionally just some great counterattacking, nicking the ball off them and transitioning quickly. Will uh, quickly just about their goal. What did you make of that? Is that is that a foul great, in, in your mind? No, great header. Fantastic. Uh, oh, on Koscielny. On Koscielny, uh, yeah, in the build-up. Yeah, so, um, yeah, it was a bit, it was a bit of a rake down the leg, I thought. And but the, the thing is, the referee's got quite a small time frame to decide whether that's a head injury, and you can stop, stop quite a tasty ball into the box mid mid air. Um, and that the heart, there's a pressure on the ref, the whole fans going absolutely ballistic. Um, if that header goes in and he blows up for Koscielny's injury. And it doesn't turn out to be a head injury, which I don't think it was. So it's hard, it's a hard. I, I feel it's a hard one for the ref. I do sympathise with him a bit there. But I am. Um, people kind of blame. I think people had a bit of a go at Ospina, who I actually met today. Uh, oh yeah, I saw a picture of that. <laughs> He's actually uh, not that tall next to me, which is quite something. I say he's just under six foot, but really, really nice person, and he's uh, done done an okay job since coming back in into the side. Have you but, ever uh, seen a goalkeeper be more successful at Arsenal having to do less than Ospina? I mean, you know, I keep looking for like reasons why he's part of this winning streak, but he really hasn't had to do a lot to be a part of it, was, has he? There was a patch in 2012, 2011-2012, when Jovino was playing quite well and he was getting a few goals. He got like five and six, and and I said to my friend, you know, I'm really happy for him because he's a, he's a formidable character and he works hard, but I'm just not convinced. And I, I sort of get that with Ospina. And I actually, I Do you don't still feel I'm, that way about Jovino, by the way? Uh, <laughs> no, I, I've made my mind up about that. Okay, book, good. Um, and I'm glad he's <laughs> well, well, let me put it to you this way. If you're Arsene Wenger, are you still going out and looking for a goalkeeper in the summer? Yeah, because to 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 progress is to achieve and to achieve is to win. I mean, and to um, dare is to do. Uh, exactly. <laughs> and, uh, happy St. Tottering Day, by the way. Yeah, by the way. Um, exactly. For yesterday. But um, I think he will probably go looking for a goalkeeper. But uh, I, I, how much has Arsenal ever spent on a goalkeeper, let's be honest? What? One, just over a million quid? No, Ospina was even a bit more than that. So, you know, he doesn't he doesn't go big on goalkeepers like other clubs like United did for De Gea and uh, etc. So, I, I think it's a very intriguing situation, actually, because... I remember in 2009-2010, Almunia uh, was dropped midway through the season and he brought Fabianski in. We brought Manone in for a spell, uh, played one great game against Fulham and then kind of dropped off. He then brought uh, Fabianski in, um, who made quite a few horrendous cock-ups away in Europe and away to Wigan Athletic. And um, so he tossed and turned and... By the start of the next season, Liverpool away, Almunia was in goal. So it's Ospina could potentially make a couple of fuck ups and still be in the team next season. So, but to be fair to Ospina, I don't see any proper reason for him to not be in goal next season, given his on a subjective level, given his personal performance, because he hasn't done anything monumentally wrong. Monaco game was a bit ropey, but. Um, 
if if there's someone better out there, which there obviously is, um, we should go and get him because we're at that level now where it's another stepping stone. And, you know, that's that's what you do when you have the resources such as a club as ours. Yeah, I, I can't disagree with that. I mean, c- conventional wisdom is we may be in for Peter Cech. And if, if that's a possibility, I feel that's a possible possible transfer. If Mourinho would let it happen, I think you'd be hard pressed not to go for Cech, given what he's achieved in his career. And I think he's still young enough to continue to be at a top level. I, I admit, though, that as much as I've not been convinced by Ospina, he would have a right to feel very hard done by if yeah. he lost. You know, if he goes on a, a run to the end of the season without losing a single game and then and then wins the FA Cup, if he even gets a start, I, I still think that'll be an interesting one, and, and then loses his place in the summer. He will obviously be starting for Colombia in the Copa America, too, so be curious to see how he does there. Um, well, Alexis Sanchez also will be, that'll be an issue for us. But um, I, I want to get to a, a couple other issues in, in this match, and it was it was so much fun to watch because even when... You know, they brought it back to 3-1. There's just a confidence and, and a swagger um, about the team and, and a composure. And I think, James, one of the things that is so important about, you know, a, a winning team, a team that can win titles is composure. And we've sort of seen some clown car defending from Arsenal over the past few seasons. We've seen a team that crumbles under pressure. But this team definitely seems to be more composed. What... What do you attribute the composure to the most? I know winning begets composure, but is there a certain player or players or dynamic within the team that you think has changed? I know you wanted to also add on Ospina so quickly. I, I guess before we touch on the uh, uh, composure issue, what, what what are your thoughts on Ospina? Um, well, I'll keep it brief, but I think the interesting thing with Ospina is I haven't been fully convinced by him because I – consistently said that unlike Chesney, I didn't get the sense that Ospina was a goalkeeper that could win us matches. I look back to the Chesney-Udinese penalty save, for example. Oh, man. Um, His ability at times, uh, and it goes both ways, but, you know, Chesney has that that confidence and that that cocksure charisma to, you know, do what other keepers wouldn't necessarily do. And I think as part of his inexperience at times, it can be costly. There's no doubt about that. But I think we sometimes understate the consistency of a spinner. Um, and perhaps, you know, when we when we berate goalkeepers, because it's quite hard for us as fans to really assess the qualities of goalkeepers sometimes, I think we often, a go-to statement of ours is that when goalkeepers are underperforming, perhaps they their lack of confidence seeps into that of the defensive back line. And I think one thing we can certainly say about Ospina is there seems to have generally been a genuine level of confidence amongst the back four and, you know, seeping into the midfield in Coquelin, for example. You know, whether that's down to just how the team is playing or the team dynamic of having someone who's as defensively um, consistent and as um, positionally disciplined as that of, Francis compared to the type of midfielders we've had in the past you know that's certainly a a factor but I think also there seems to be a a genuine uh, combination and and relationship that's formed between the defenders and the goalkeeper and I think the lack of um, hard in mouth moments we've had with Ospina compared to that of Chesney a, a goalkeeper that likes to make his presence felt that constantly likes to um come out and in, in, in a similar fashion to that of Uri, and at times it, it's able, it relieves pressure, certainly. 
but also there are other times where it certainly puts us under un- unnecessary pressure. And I think perhaps that's something that goes a little unnoticed with Ospina. And I, I know that Wenger pointed it out recently, and I was quite surprised to see that from a statistical point of view, Ospina has actually been the um, on paper since he's come in on, in this calendar year, um, the best goalkeeper from like a you know a, a save a shot to save ratio and um, the various other statistics that come with it. So. Although numbers don't always tell the whole story, I think he's perhaps um, he's he's not credited with the with the kind of strength and, and confidence that he's shown during this patch, as even someone like myself has um, displayed in the in the in the previous comments that I've given him. So perhaps there's a little more to it. I think also a lot of it comes down to whether Wenger is desperate for Chesney to leave or not, because if 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 Wenger's happy for Chesney to stay at the club as number two and Chesney's happy to to fight for his place, and I really don't see a goalkeeper coming in, despite that seeming to be like the the consistent name that's thrown in amongst um, various Arsenal fans at this moment in time. Yeah, I, the one thing that I noticed that makes a big, big difference. You know, I've been critical of Espina for something. He goes long every time. You guys notice that? He he doesn't like to yeah. throw it out. He doesn't pass it to his back four. He kicks long every chance he gets. And I've been critical because I thought that that hindered our build-up play. But to be fair to Ospina. I think we can all count many, many times that Chesney has put us under unnecessary pressure by throwing it out or kicking it out to a defender who was under pressure and didn't have anyone to give it to. We've turned the ball over. And the one thing that Ospina has done is he's eliminated those mistakes simply by not going short with the ball. Uh, and I wonder what Arsene Wenger would tell you in sort of a private moment, how he feels about having a goalkeeper who never seems to want to give it to his back four. Um because it certainly affects the way we our, our buildup happens. Um, Will, I I think, well, actually, James, just real quick, I mean, since that was a, a pretty solid answer on Ospina, I mean, would you say that he might be the single biggest reason for the, the difference in composure? I mean, if you can attribute any one person or any one ca- uh, element to why we seem to have more composure apart from just because we've been winning, is there anything that you see that's different? Is it the Coughlin influence, having someone who... Who will sweep up when we make mistakes? Um, I, I wouldn't attribute it to Ospina, um, and I think it's difficult to attribute it to one player. But I do think a lot of it comes down to this is what happens when you bring in and have the ability to financially sign the types of players that we have done so over the last two summers. You know, bringing in players like Mesut Ozil and Alexis Sanchez. These are these change the dynamic of the team significantly. Um, but you know, that being said, the the true qualities of those types of players wouldn't be able to shine through without having someone who has the, as I mentioned, the positional discipline and the defensive qualities and athleticism that someone like a Francis Coquelin possesses. And I think as mm-hmm. fans, we've we've been calling out for that type of player for a while. And I think we've it's shown, especially given the type of football we try to play, how well that complements the kind of system that we often adopt. Um, so I think the major component is, you know, just naturally, and it's the obvious point, is bringing in world-class, or, you know, that's obviously a subjective term, but high, super high-quality players. Um, alongside, top, 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 top quality, I top, think top, is what top you're looking quality, for. Yeah. Of course, yeah. and alongside a, a team structure that seems to be extremely well-balanced. I think not only have we suffered in being able to bring in players of the required quality in the past. You look to the likes of Javinio and, and struggling away with, say, Arshvins and your Danielsons, etc. But 
that too. We, we've often been far too top-heavy. We've even had defenders like Galas for Marlon who have been extremely inclined to bomb forward, um, leave plenty of gaps in the defense. And now I feel like we've found a, a good medium whereby from back to front we're extremely solid combined with a team that knows that each player seems to know its role extremely well. And a lot of that too comes down to having a starting 11 that's been in place fairly consistently over the last 10 games or so. And you look to a Chelsea side that's been extremely fortunate, or whether it's down to whatever lotions and potions they're uh, feeding their players in the dressing room. Now, now, our legal budget for this pod is is not not particularly robust. <laughs> I, but let, let me ask you this, and, and actually, Will, I, I think this this is a question. I mean, that that obviously could just be down to the fact that winning begets more winning. You know, obviously it builds confidence in the squad. But I mean, what do you think? Do you think that having a player who devotes himself entirely to cleaning up messes on the pitch, you know, um, in Francis Coughlin, is the biggest reason why we we don't have those, or as many of those scrambling, um, chaotic moments that, that we've often seen from the club? Do you think that, that presence alone has done it, or is there something else that you think is equally significant? Well, I, um, I don't think... There's any room for passengers, if that's kind of what you're getting at. Um, yeah, well, there's uh, no there's no clown characters in the squad anymore, yeah, right? There's no there's no. Um, yeah, player no, that I agree. You... I think Coquelin is. Um, I don't think he's that decent on the ball. I think he's adequate, which was obviously it's a it's a key component for an awesome Wenger player. Um, but you know, listen, Coquelin, I think has done incredibly well, and uh, he gets a lot of kind of stick from the kind of hipster the hipster schemists who kind of want this ball playing all singing all dancing midfielder you know do you think got... he can play the ball well enough though or, or would you mm-hmm. in, in, I'm, ske- you know... I'm skeptical of his ball playing ability but it was it wasn't it, fantastic yesterday it, no and it, it's not i don't think it's ever fantastic okay. um but I, I it depends whether you can surround him with players that can compensate for it um, you know, your Ramses and your Gonzalez who do enough in front of Coquelin to kind of provide provide us with that fluidity and that kind of, you know, um, keep the ball ticking in possession, you know. So, you know, I, I think he's done well. Um, and I think we've got to keep him, uh, whether we sign a defensive midfielder or not, because he is a very, uh, I think he's a very valuable commodity, actually. If you ruled the world, would we have a player in that position who was better on the <laughs> ball, though? I mean, what... Uh, yeah, yeah. It's interesting. Sometimes I watch, you know, I will I'll watch his play and I'll just keep an eye on him and where he goes. And during the build-up, I think you you see that he's still learning what positions to take up. And there are times when players will turn and look for someone to pass to. And even if Coughlin's standing five yards away unmarked, you know, they might <laughs> look for someone else to give it to. I don't know if that's by instruction, you know, only give it to him if you have to, or if yeah. that's just. Um, because the the players know that that's not his strong suit, but I, you know, I think it'd be easy to criticize his on the ball play, but that would be unfair because what he does off the ball is exactly what the team's been missing. And I saw a statistic that said since coming into the side, no player has made more tackles or more interceptions in the league than Francis Coughlin. So that, that side of his game is impeccable. Don't it, get me wrong. It he, is. He reads the game from a mile off, and it's uh, and he loves to tackle. It's. Um, something that's nice to see is uh in the flesh especially the difference well i think with him and like a flamini is not just obviously a power and athleticism that flamini doesn't have as much anymore but flamini seems to think that the role of a 
of an enforcer is to just dive in two-footed like crazy in every challenge. And I think yeah. Coughlin has a little more um, circumspection about when to be excessively physical in the challenge and when to stay on his feet, which yeah. Flamini doesn't seem to balance well. <laughs> Um, so let's talk Alexis for a minute because I, I think he deserves a little more discussion. He was brilliant again yesterday. Uh, James, the best debut season, forget statistically, just the eye test, best debut season for an Arsenal player that you can ever remember, that you can vaguely remember. I mean, obviously, you know, let's not pretend we're all 70 years old and remember a guy from 1960s. Like, you can only speak about what you have in your living memory. Can you think of a, a better debut season? Um, certainly the best debut season I can vaguely remember. Um, the problem being that at a younger age, I'm not sure how closely I dissected the qualities of the team and was almost obnoxious in the way that I anticipated and expected Arsenal to perform, um, given that I grew up in the, um, well, when I started following Arsenal was in the late 90s. Mm -hmm. Um, camp. Yeah, I mean, it's, well... Dennis had a phenomenal season, but the problem was for me, I think at the time I was about six or seven, so I didn't, tr like, I, I, as much as I loved Dennis, it was the first Arsenal kit that uh, I was given, I I was kind of just going with the flow, and uh, um, I, I, I can't say that from a memory standpoint, I can I can specifically pinpoint the actual, like, qualities, the direct and the specific qualities that he brought to the side comparatively to that as someone such as Alexis. Um, but, I mean, even if you look at it statistically, I think it's the first player since Thierry Henry to have scored more than 20 goals in his first season. Um, and I think it's even more pertinent given how desperate we as fans have become, have come to wait for a player of, of his and Ozil's ilk since this kind of barren spell of consistently bringing in players that are subpar to what we've been used to in and around the Invincibles generation and that are leading up until about 2006, um, well, the 05-06 season when we made the Champions League final. Um, especially given the kind of panache, the his Duracell battery-like um, attitude, his ability to constantly take on players um, with his quick feet, his um, the, the variation in the way in which he scores goals. He's just such an exciting player to watch on top of all of that. Um, in a kind of opposite manner to that of Ozil, where they're clearly both high, high-quality players, but I think Ozil's a lot more difficult to appreciate as a player. You have to look that little more closely, whereas Alexis, it's very, um, it, it's very much in your face, and I think that it's something that it, more fans are able to appreciate as such. And it's been a delight to watch, especially with that, you know, that sincere pace. We all love watching good counter-attacking football, um, and I think in in recent games, we've seen um, more so his ability to actually run in behind. We've all we've known that he's a very pacey player, but I think from an early stage, he's given the kind of charisma that he has and his persona. He often likes to come deep because he just likes to have the ball as much as possible. He feels the impetus and the need to be the one that creates, that starts the attacks and then finishes them too. And I think he's found a more willingness to trust in the likes of the of Cazorla, Ramsey, and Ozil to be the ones to set him free. And I think that has added a whole other dimension to the side. And we saw that in the in the two breakaways that he made, um, f finding space in between the back line of Hull to score his second and also um, to have nearly scored 
just prior to that through the Cazorla through ball too. So I think all of that combined, he's been certainly as good a player as we've seen for a long, long time, as in, especially in his debut season. Hey, well, how important is it when your best player is your hardest working player? What what kind of imp- impact does that make on the on the team as a whole? Well, he's Alexis is quite remarkable to watch actually. He's um his his desire I think has something to do with his upbringing and his background and um you know the environment he's kind of played his football in. Um may, may sound a bit stereotypical actually, but I honestly do think it does and it, it's instilled it seems to have instilled this incredible work rate and um in the first half of the season i think it showed more because he was fresh and he was raring to go i mean the, so to speak uh, the james the duracell batteries were fully charged at that point um <laughs> maybe dropped off a bit midway through obviously because he's shattered he's playing every game um at uh, the optimum level that he's capable of and um for listen for alexis i think his main problem in the first half of the season and uh, maybe a bit further than that actually was losing the ball in the final third there's no doubt he's great on the ball and he can he can affect a game in a nanosecond and despite our poor performance in the champions league this year i do believe if you if you're really serious about going and getting far in that competition you need players like alexis because the Champions League is about moments of snap, snapshot judgment and, you know, um, split second decisions, which Alexis can, you know, we can vouch that Alexis can do that. Um, and he's been, um, I, I, and I, th- I think I, let, I it's time I'm trying to weigh it up here because I do think, um, you know, he may might have got an easy ride compared to some some other new signings for not playing as well. Um, is it just because of where his good play came in? I mean, how important is it as a new signing that your best games are within the first three or four weeks that you're there? I mean, well, it's certainly it's certainly easier if you everything people are first to criticise and, and last to praise. So mm-hmm. when you do all your good stuff in the first half of the season, that's it's all about first impressions. It's all about making that mark in someone's mind. So when the player does dip in form, people can look at it and go, well, he's done X and Y in the first half of the season. We shouldn't be lambasting him as opposed to a player who hasn't played well up until that point, but really hasn't turned the screw yet. bit like Ozil, I guess yeah. um, you could say. Um, but yeah, Alexis is, um, is great. He is a wonderful player and he will work it out either way. Um, and he is... Graham's a great buy. It's what £35 million gets you from a Spanish champions. Uh, it, it is a little interesting, right? I mean, it, we, for all these years we talked about, you know, money isn't everything, but maybe it is. <laughs> because <laughs> you look at Ozil and you look at Sanchez and the way they're playing now and how they're contributing to our, our winning run. And But but, but um, on the flip side, you look at Bellerin and you look at Coquelin. And if, you, if I was to ask you, Elliot or James, at the start of the season, I was to go to you. Ospina, Bellerin and Coquelin and Monreal are all going to be starting every week. You would have, you know, you would have chucked, chucked your coffee in my face. So, you know, it's... Uh, That's a fair point. It's, it's, it's how football... It's weird how football works. Um, but it's uh, it's always refreshing to see players that you don't really deem fit to go and make a real challenge for, for honours, um, make that step up. And it shows they care. And um, that's kind of all you want as a fan. Certainly. Uh, hey, real quick, Will. Um, yeah. Jack made his his return um he ran a lot he was very active he uh, always he, is he, he, yeah he got a lot of praise for that return um what, <laughs> what did you make of that cameo i mean obviously he was just sort of happy to be back on the pitch i thought he was unlucky oh. not to get one if not two penalties and certainly a goal um 
Do you think he's going to make himself, he's going to force himself back into the picture before the end of this season? Or is this just, you so, know, a cameo of a couple that he's going to have before the season's over? I thought Wilshire's cameo last night epitomized Wilshire himself in that small time frame. He, he went past about four players with ease and could have released it um, to a wing and got absolutely clattered. Yep. And just in that moment, we see the amazing technical ability this guy's got, but also I think the poor decision-making. And I thought we saw the poor decision-making totally when he agree. was passing players on the, right, on the wing, but then failing to really put, across a, uh, put a ball across the box or, or have a shot. And I, and I think that's such a shame because it, I think he, when he gets in the final third, he suffers from a bit of the Alex Klebs. And, um, and I think he's he's a very similar player. Um, he's a bit more tenacious and he's a bit more narky, should we say, to put it in British terms. But um, I think with Wilshire, Wide Right isn't such a bad shout as people think because it's where he actually plied his trade um, when we won the FA Youth Cup in uh, 08 09. Um, and I don't think people should look at it as starting 11s in football anymore, and especially with Arsenal. Um, you know, we always talk about, does he get in the starting 11? OK, well, OK, maybe next week he doesn't. But what about two weeks when Ramsey comes back from two games for Wales or, you know, Cazorla picks up a knock in training? That's where Wilshire comes in. And you need, it's. I think it's a bit silly to chuck away quality. You know, when people go, I'll take 30 million from City. Well, take 30 million and do what? Give City a better midfielder than they've already got. Right. He's definitely better than Fernando. Um, who did they? Who's the bloke they used to have? Garcia. He would marginally improve Man City. And although we would be getting a financial return on that, seriously, why would you want to do that? We we've learned. We've sold Van Persie to Manchester United, and we've lost the league. And I'm not saying Wilshere would go and do that for them, but it, I think it's silly to sell him to another English club. And remember, it complements their homegrown quota as well so we keep him he's a great footballer and he there will be a place for him found in the future because he's what 22 years old so i i think wilshire is i think he's become a bit of a scapegoat um the one thing i would actually say about wilshire is i don't believe him and ramsey can play together mm-hmm. and i do think he needs a properly disciplined holding midfielder uh, to play behind him because I feel Ramsey has much better positional awareness. He has a much better engine and he gives a lot more uh, end products. And that's, and it's, it's, you know, it's not a bad thing to say. Ramsey's Ramsey gives more than Wilshire for the team for me. And if that means Wilshire has to sit on the bench, well, I'm an Arsenal fan. I'd rather see Ramsey on the pitch, but it doesn't mean to say Wilshire's a bad footballer. And I don't think football should be that absolutist. Or Unfortunately, that's how people want to see the world and have to see the world at times. I think football's a tribalist sport. It has to be one or the other. It's binary. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, exactly. It's a one or a zero. You have to be in this camp or that camp, or you get accused of being a ninny or something like that. You know, uh, you know, it's like the Gibbs and Monreal thing, right? But I, last season, I said Gibbs was the marginally better left back. This season, they go Gibbs and Monreal. I go Monreal. I think he's developed into a really good fullback. But people go, yeah, but Gibbs and Monreal. It's like, I like both of them. I'm an Arsenal fan, right? If we've got two good, competent left-backs there, I'm really happy to have them in the side. Yeah, it, what, dri- what drives me nuts, Will, <laughs> to, 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 to your point, it drives me nuts. You know, if Nacho Monreal moves slightly ahead of Gibbs in the pecking order, then you have people who are like, well, we got to sell Gibbs in the summer. Mm. Why? 
why can't you have both? You know, it's it's not either they're starting and they're fantastic or we got to get rid of them. And I, yeah. I think the challenge with someone like Wilshire, though, is is he does he perceive himself as a superstar who needs to be starting every match? And if yeah. he does, you know, what are what are his goals going to be? I mean, what about you, James? I think, you know, Jack was a player that I absolutely adored and I've kind of fallen away from that not so much because i don't think he has the ability but because i think the combination of injuries and maybe not the best attitude and maybe not the best attitude towards team oriented football is is are some of the things that that i've been critical of him for what did you make of the cameo and what do you think at least till the end of this season his role is going to be if any um first of all boy did he look sharp i think the benefit of actually having an established squad and side in which we were able to ease Jack back in or partly down to the fact that he just wasn't able to fit back into that team aside from a game in which we were pretty much home and dry. Um, they're much like Walcott, perhaps, especially given his long-term injury, there's only going to be certain game scenarios in which we can really afford to, to give Jack the, the amount of minutes that he requires, and I think that's just pretty much how it's going to be until the end of the season but that being said the benefit of having someone like Jack on the bench is he's far more suitable to a lot of different game types and um, moments in a match than say someone like Theo who's either you know sort of a Hail Mary kind of like desperately trying to score a goal um, let's try something new but given his ball carrying abilities if we're defending a lead his ability to retain possession can come in handy um, but also his, his his burst of pace that we saw, which was quite excellent, especially given it was his first appearance in such a long period of time, in, um, certainly in Premier League football, um, and his ability to beat players. There's not many players in world football, I would say, that have quite that technical and burst of pace, that combination of the two. Um, it's a little extravagant to, to really trade analogy between that and Messi, but you can you can kind of see, especially given they're both left footed players. No, no, I'm not no, I'm not allowing I'm, that. I'm no. I'm I listen, I'm not comparing <laughs> Wilshire to Messi and I and I said it's a weak analogy, but you can see in the type of footballer at times and in, in the way in which he looks to beat players, that kind of confidence, that swag and in the drop of the shoulder and, and to take on players and use that burst of pace and that close control. It's 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 a very unique attribute and it's something that's extremely exciting to watch and I think it's very exemplary of the kind of skills that a player like that that he has and the reason why Wenger has shown so consistently over so, over so, so many years why he has so much faith and confidence that Jack has the, the ability to really take it to the level whereby he is in the future perhaps a player if he can get over these injury struggles to be one of the first names on the team sheet in this Arsenal side. Fair enough. And that's coming that's coming from someone who I I personally levied a lot of criticism towards Jack and I think something I've often said about him is he's a little bit too passionate sometimes. He his game management, his ability to to take a step back and truly assess the game and, and what's actually beneficial for the side. He's a little too silky. He's, he, as, as Will mentioned, he can he can take on one player too much, too many. And I think in certain situations, he has a for someone who has such phenomenal touch of the ball or the potential to have such. Um, he can be a little bit heavy. He can let the ball go, and he, he then creates that 50-50 challenge whereby he nicks the ball away and leaves himself susceptible to that injury. Um, but I think we do see. I mean especially given 
the way in which we've allowed Jack to recover and um, following, you know, just seeing how quick, how fit and how sharp he looked for his first game back, that really did give a sign. I mean, it was the, it, it was the most confident I've I felt in in Jack for a long time. This entire season, I felt extremely frustrated seeing Jack on that team sheet. And maybe a lot of it comes down to as well, just coming into a side that in itself is brimming with confidence. It's it's a lot easier as a player to to be a part of an eleven that has been so consistently winning games that that it that is showing the kind of attacking exuberance that we have over the last um, few weeks and couple of months. So you know maybe that combination sort of bodes well, and he's not going to be he's not going to be starting matches. He he's going to get a few stints off the bench. He may be needed at important points in a game in order to change something up. But next season is going to be a really big season for him to stay fit. And there's going to come a moment where injuries or rotations required and he's going to get the chance. And I really hope he takes it because he's a player that really loves this club. And we see, we've seen moments of it. We've seen it at, at a time when he's been so young, so inexperienced. Obviously that Barcelona game comes to most people's minds. Yeah, he's living, he's living off that though. And I'm going to tell you some yeah. few things. I mean, first, I think... You're right that he's passionate, but I think Jack's passion is first and foremost a passion about Jack Wilshire more than it is about Arsenal or anything related to his teammates. Jack cares about Jack getting the calls. Jack cares about, you know, getting the foul calls. And I think, unlike a Lionel Messi who has phenomenal close control, I think Wilshire is always right on the border of having the ball under control and losing the ball. And like that foul that he, he collected late in the game where he, where he did get the free kick on the edge of the area, I think the problem with Wilshire is sometimes he gets the free kick call and sometimes he doesn't. And two things happen when he doesn't. One, it's a transition for the opposition. I, I mean, he, he does lose the ball in key areas because of that. And two, he, stro- you know, he throws a strop on the pitch and he pounds the, the grass and he lays there and he throws his hands up in the air like he can't believe that he didn't get the call. And I think he's going to have to make quicker decisions on the ball. I think if he's going to carry the ball long distances, he's going to have to have it under better control, closer to him, where he's not putting himself in positions where he's stretching at the end of every run and either getting creamed or losing the ball. There, there are things that have to improve about his game, and that's natural from someone who's been out with injury so long. But I think one of the things that has to improve is humility and a willingness to work not just for Jack Wilshire but for the team. I, I want to move on. I mean, the Jack Wilshire debate could be its own podcast, and I think a lot of that will... The, it'll be interesting to see what happens in the summer. I know he's he's linked with City, and hopefully... you know, The last thing I want to do is see him go to City. But... Let's end on this. Will, you were at the match uh, yesterday, as you, as you always are at the matches, and I don't want to give you just the softball question here, because I, I, we're going to talk ticket prices just really quickly. Um, I know this is an issue that, that is important to you. Instead of just giving you the softball question saying, wouldn't it be nice if tickets were cheaper? You paid £50 for a ticket to a Monday night game in a hall. I paid, know, actually, I, I have to say I paid £30 because I'm a student. However, okay. the majority of people in that away end paid 50 Well, let me, let, me, let me ask it like this. I know that you think that ticket prices in football are a problem. Certainly, you know, you can expand on that. But what do you say to the person who tells you this is purely supply and demand? And if you artificially cause tickets to be cheaper, people will hoard them and scalp them. And, you know, people will get, uh, you know, there'll be exorbitant price pricing of, you know, uh, people on the secondary market who are who are ripping off fans. What do you say to the person that says this is just a product of supply and demand and that the prices are finding a natural equilibrium? I don't think it's a supply and demand issue. Though. I mean, how can it be? We get allocated pretty much the same amount of tickets every game, every away fixture anyway, and it there's not much margin to make a profit markup on away tickets when there's such a small amount. Now, 
there is a pot provided for each Premier League club to subsidise fans, travelling fans, mm-hmm. and Arsenal have used that fairly fairly well, I believe, with regards to subsidised transport to games against Man United and Hull and, and cheap, cheap coach travel to cup games. And so, you know, I think that with the, t- with the ticket price thing, the banner we had up last night at the whole game, I think it, it's, got, it's sending a message we all need to rally around and say that football clubs are nothing without football supporters. Um, supporters without supporters' money and gate revenue wouldn't exist. They, they would completely be non-operative. And I think that's what needs to be remembered here. We're happy to pay money to go and see our team because it keeps our uh, flight club. But please stop charging us so much. You know, if you want the shirts off our backs, you can have them. We just want to see our football team something that we keep, we, we prop up. We propped up the signing of Meza Ozil simply through gate revenue. Mm-hmm. And um, why why hike it up when we're already pretty resourceful? Um, that, that's my argument. Yeah, and, and I have to admit, this is an argument that I stay out of, both because I am terrible at economics and because I am not someone who uh, pays for a ticket to see the club play, as I am several thousand miles away, and it would be very difficult to do so. Um, you know, and for people like myself who make the occasional pilgrimage to the Emirates, the ticket price isn't even really relevant because by the time you factor in airfare and, and hotel, you know, it's it's really not relevant what the ticket price is. But for the everyday match going supporter, it is a problem. And I think there is a real question because football is so much about the support and the support is about a ter- certain type of supporter, not a, you know, employee of a corporation that owns a block of 20 seats that gets to go once or twice a season with some of their co-workers and doesn't even support the club. I mean, that does not provide the kind of atmosphere that has made Premier League football so famous the world over. So it'll be interesting to see what happens. Obviously, emotionally, I would hope that they would be able to do something about ticket prices. But as I mentioned, I don't think it makes sense for me to really wade into the debate. And I, I certainly appreciate you, Will, you know, giving us your perspective on it. Well, the, the, the thing is for me, I mean, I go, I started going this season every week. And, um, you know, home and away. And actually, it's fairly it's, it's easier for me because I'm still of that age where I can afford kind of a cheaper ticket into the game. But I do feel for the, mo- the majority of friends I go with who are paying £50 to go to Hull and, and 54 for QPR and 59 for Chelsea. But let's not forget, when these teams come to our place, mm-hmm. they're paying nearly half the price because of the category system. And that's why I think the category system is, is flawed, unfortunately, because... This is why this is why the Football Supporters Federation want a blanket a blanket price on all ticket prices. And I, I just I don't necessarily think it should be twenty. I think it should be maybe a bit higher because um, I do see the argument for the completely come drastic drop in price. Maybe looking at twenty five thirty would be more reasonable. We just want an average equation of the ticket price we pay plus a bit less just to help us out a bit and. I'm not saying it should happen for away fans only. Home fans need to be given help as well because the season ticket prices at Arsenal are extortionate and it's hard for people to go and watch their teams. And for me, it's as simple as that. Um, but I, and, I, and the Football Supporters Federation are doing great work along with other Arsenal supporters groups to work in favour of ticket prices. Let's be balanced here. Arsenal have given some good ticket incentives in the past few years. Um, for example, the junior gunners, the young guns enclosure now get um, category B and C games. Junior gunners can get in for a tenner. That's great. That's um, 
you know, that's, you know, kind of like some pocket money to some kids or money to get for their birthday. They can spend it on going and watching the Arsenal and kind of learning all the match day rituals and getting into supporting their football team. And that reminds me of me being a kid. But, you know, I think um, there needs to there needs to be a middle ground and, and say, look, um, we've helped build this fantastic stadium and we've helped fund a lot of these signings. We essentially are the football club as much as you are, um, just kind of ease off a bit. And that's all I would say. Well said. Yeah, I mean, the one thing you do worry about is as TV revenues increase, does the clubs, you know, you could, it can cut both ways. You could say the club will have less of a concern about what the match-going fans think because so much of the money is coming from TV revenue and, and corporate sponsorships. But you could also say, alternatively, they become less dependent on ticket revenues and as a result are in a position where they really can for the first time thrive without having to charge higher ticket prices uh yeah. um james i certainly don't want to freeze you out of this debate because uh you know that that would not be fair and also not a good no, idea because you you do go to the games as well so i mean just a- anything you want to add to what will said on this um yeah i mean i think it's a, it's a tough issue because but I think it's one that's, you know, obviously not insular to that of Arsenal Football Club. I think it's a, it's it's very much across the board for a lot of the big teams in the league, and even for the lower the, the lower uh, teams in the in the league. Any team that's that's able to fill up its its stadium for the for the most part is witnessing increases in in ticket prices. I think an argument recently that's been made has been that of, sort of West Ham reducing ticket prices with their move to the Olympic Stadium, but. Even that comes down to a lot of supply and demand with them trying to attract a new customer base to fill up their new stadium, yeah. <laughs> fill up their new stadium in yeah. a new part of the city. So I, I, I do think that we need to take a little bit of perspective. It, it's definitely an issue that that um, affects all football fans. I don't think we need to, as Arsenal fans as such, be so um, overhyped over the fact that this is something that the board is doing to us relative to that of our other football clubs. I just think it's something that's inherent in in the Premier League and football as a whole. And it's definitely a shame because I think it's pricing out a lot of fans that have shown a sincere level of dedication and um, admiration and love for the football club for such a long period of time and that clearly have such a close connection. And those are the types of fans that you really want to try and keep as involved in the club as much as possible without really you know, catering to their perhaps financial needs. But there's got to be a there's got to be a combination, a leeway, and a middle ground that has to be found between those that have um, have shown such loyalty over such a long period of time, and also bringing in the new the new level of fans. And unfortunately, with this increased wave of popularity from a global point of view, from you have a lot of t- unfortunately, you know, say touristic fans that I guess the connotation associated with them is perhaps that they they're the types of fans that don't bring the kind of atmosphere that don't have that inherent culture um, cultural knowledge and background associated with the club um but you know they're they're willing to play to pay slightly higher prices for those one-off games and there's just a much bigger demand in general for for football games so i think just naturally in the grand scheme of things you're gonna see slight price hikes Mm -hmm. but i you know that being said and you mentioned it is given just how much revenue the, the the kind of revenue streams that are being um, increased dramatically through that of um, through t- uh, t- TV deals, etc. I'm not sure how much of a, a, a necessity such price hikes are for for a football club that that so that that ultimately has such a damning impact on 
on in some regards the the, the beating heart of, of 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 the organization itself, albeit away from the financial component of it. Um, and I know that you know in the modern day it's a shame because we as fans are becoming less and less important. But if you that that there's going to be a stage that if you constantly push away the fans, the the people that are constantly coming to support the club and and making the club what it is. I mean, the the FA Cup win is 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 nothing without having the kind of support that we saw in that FA Cup parade last mm-hmm. year, and and clearly the the dedication and the love shown and the affection for the football club. That's how you're going to grow the brand if you're able to continue to encourage more and more people to want to be a part of the organization. I think a a, a you know a big step taking to be able to take forward in the future is is one in which we can continue to allow a wide range of fans to continue to be able to support the club at the ground and especially those that have that have been a part of the club for such a long period of time. Yeah, I, I think that's right. And I think, you know, the reality is next season, I don't know if this comes to a head. What I worry about, you guys, is that in the 2016-2017 season, as we defend our treble, that they might really try to take advantage of us with higher ticket prices. And I think that's really the worry. So we'll have to keep an eye out for that after next season. Um, that ought to do it. I, I certainly appreciate both of your perspectives on that and on the game, which was delightful. Um, no matter how much you paid to see it, at least you got your money's worth, or at least nearly. Um, Will, I really appreciate you coming on. I know it was short notice, but uh, fantastic job, and we'll look forward to having you on again. Thank you very much. Yeah, and if you want to follow Will, which of course you should do on <laughs> Twitter, it's it would be uh, Little Will AFC, correct, Will? That's it, Little Will AFC? Indeed. Indeed. You should be following. I know I am, and I enjoy it. Um, as for James, he will be back uh, next Monday or Tuesday, depending on when we get around to recording it, because we're lazy. Um, but it's going to be Swansea at home, so chance to make amends uh, for what I believe. Am I correct in saying that when – yeah, we – Drop points at Swansea. So, we lost 2-1. On yeah, that was the Callum Chambers nightmare game. So be good Indeed. to get some retribution for that. Uh, you should follow James on Twitter, at GoonerFanatic49. James, as always, it was a pleasure. Pleasure indeed, Elliot. Yep. I look forward to it next week. I do too. Hey, um, my name is Elliot Smith. You can block me on Twitter at Yankee Gunner. Strongly recommend you do so. Until next time, uh, enjoy the football. Enjoy the Champions League. Um, what I do, and this is just a tip for beginners, Hold your hand over half of the screen and pretend it's Arsenal playing in the semifinal. Um, We'll talk to you after Swansea. Cheers. I'm Mark Chapman. Welcome to the Planet Premier League podcast. Each week, Cesc Fabregas, Nader Manua and myself talk all things Premier League. As a player, you don't have time to talk. No. You don't have time to make a plan. You just need to deal with wave after wave after wave. We watched Coach Carter and he said, oh, afterwards, the game's just about doing this for your teammates. And I remember looking around halfway through the film and half the squad was asleep. <laughs> Planet Premier League. Listen wherever you get your podcasts.